Good morning. As Mother Nancy said, my name is Mallory, and I have the privilege of proclaiming good news this morning as a part of our College of Preachers. Here at the table, we proclaim and gospel one another in a lot of different ways, and this is just an extension of one of those ways. All right, let's jump in. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Church, today we proclaim the good news that the divine isn't leveraging their deity to make us grovel and groan. The divine is attentive to you, genuinely interested in you, and lovingly caring for you today. Jesus gives us intimate insight into the type of relationship God offers us. And we can trust that good news because God is like Jesus. Church, receive today the knowledge that you are beloved. Not tolerated. Rest in the nurturing presence of a God who delights in you. Y'all just prepare your your hearts, because I cried right in this whole thing. (laughs) Our gospel passage begins with Jesus teaching the disciples how to pray. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father. Then we move into the rest of the chapter that is usually labeled, Perseverance in Prayer. A friend is in need during the middle of the night, and the man inside his home isn't helping. Verse 8 says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. Verse 9, so I say to you, ask and it will be given you, search and you will find, knock and the door will be opened for you. It's significant that Jesus defining our relationship with God is added just before this perseverance in prayer passage. And it may not have happened at the same time, but I think the author here thought it really significant to pair the two. Jesus teaches us how to pray by addressing first and foremost who we are in relationship to God. The word for God here is Abba, which means Father. And Jesus gifts us a prayer that always reminds us who God is to us. This parable of a neighbor in need was always taught to me with an undertone of God portrayed as busy or tired or working on more important things. In this metaphor, I was taught that I was the person in need banging on the door and that in order to get God's intention, I had to keep knocking until God finally let me in. I experienced a lot of youth group sermons that mentioned that if the desires of my prayer weren't appropriate, or if I didn't really need them, then God was probably going to take care of the more important things, thus not answering the door. So in a way, this parable was taught as the measuring stick of how to gauge whether or not God deemed my prayers appropriate. And both of these takes on this parable paint God as a lofty deity who has little interest, maybe a little pity, for all of creation. But in the context of Jesus' world and the Jewish culture, the frame of hospitality is really important here. To take care of your neighbor is highly esteemed, 
Love God, love people, that's all part of keeping Torah. So if we view this metaphor as us as the knocker and God as the man staying in his house, the parable isn't really teaching us how to get what we need from God. You don't have to bloody your knuckles to get an answer. It also is a way of calibrating if our prayers and desires are holy. I'd suggest that the passage, in light of Jewish hospitality, is teaching us about the character of God. I think every culture has a pretty clear definition of shame. I feel like if we went down the road, you'd be like, I know what's shameful. I'm very aware. (laughs) In our culture, being successful and taking care of yourself are ways that we have esteemed and identified who is shameful and who isn't. So our 21st century Christian eyes are tempted to place the shame in the story on the asker. The man who keeps knocking over and over, he seems a bit desperate, doesn't he? He seems like the person your family member at Thanksgiving rants about for not having a job. You know the one. But in light of the cultural context of this story, the shame is placed on the man who won't get up to help his neighbor. Verse 8 says, at least because of the man's persistence, the neighbor will get up to help. John Pilch suggests that a better translation of persistence in this passage, in light of the culture of Jesus, would be shamelessness. The text could read, be shameless in your asking. Jesus' audience would be shocked that the man in the home didn't get up to care for his friend, not that his friend asked for help. Jesus is making a clear point to his audience that they know how to do good and care for their neighbor. They can discern easily in the story what is evil and good in light of keeping Torah. And in this passage, Jesus isn't giving his audience the automated message, your call is important to us. (laughs) Please stay on the line. (laughs) Jesus is saying, this man not caring for his neighbor is clearly wrong. You can see that. And if you ask, seek, or knock, the door will be opened because God is nothing like the man in this house. God is not withholding, overworked, exhausted, or annoyed that you would come with a need. Ask of your Abba in heaven and it will be given you. Knock and Abba, a good father, will open the door to you. This passage is a caring tender God promising us faithful presence. We see this character of God continued in our lectionary text as well. The type of text Genesis is isn't honing in on the fact that God is trying really hard to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. The text is trying to reveal that though God would have a right to get rid of the evil in the world, that God's character is patient and attentive to the good that could be happening. Our psalmist writes, on the day I called, you answered me. You increased my strength. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. You preserve me, deliver me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Church, we proclaim the good news this morning that the divine isn't leveraging their deity to make us grovel and groan. The divine is attentive to you, genuinely interested in you, and lovingly caring for you today. 
Jesus gives us an intimate insight into the types of relationship God offers us. And we can trust that good news because God is like Jesus. I try to forget this season of my life, but I served tables at Olive Garden in college. <laughs> uh, I had a friend there, we'll call him Jason, uh, and he looked out for me. I was just a big ball of mess, and he just took care of me. <laughs> uh, and I remember one day, I got a little arrogant, and I packed my little tray a little too high of dirty dishes, and salad bowls, and silverware, and old food just is flying everywhere, y'all. And I didn't, I don't even think I stopped to hear it hit the floor. I had sprinted around the corner as fast as I could to get away from the aftermath. <laughs> and I remember Jason coming over and being like, are you hurt? No. Is your pride hurt? Yeah. It wasn't that bad, right? Um. <laughs> Jason was just a stand-up friend to me. <laughs> uh, and I remember Jason came to our apartment once, uh, me and a couple of my roommates. We all worked at Olive Garden, so we had a little posse. Uh, and we were watching a movie. And in that season, I was in college studying um, for a theology degree. Uh, and Jason, my friend, is agnostic. And I had this cross on my desk, and I remember as he kind of took inventory of my apartment, his gaze lingered, and I remember, I said, what you thinking? <laughs> and he said, I think there's a world where God is real. I actually think I'd like to believe that, but I just wish he didn't hate me so much. A friend of mine is a theology professor, um, an undergrads. She sends out this Facebook reminder every year. The work I'm doing isn't necessarily to teach the sound doctrine or give the moral code of Christianity. The real work I'm doing is revealing to students that God does not hate them. We've been so ingrained that we are tolerated, that God is this high and lofty deity just putting up with this because he needs some worship. Friends, today that's not true. Church, God does not hate you. God is not tolerating you. God is not waiting for you to get your act together. That one area in your life that you aren't proud of, it came to mind real quick, didn't it? Quick temper, depression, the doubt. Those do not counter or cancel God's faithful presence to you. They are not annoying to God. They are not dangers to his identity because we do not serve a narcissistic deity. They are not hindrances to connecting with God. God sees every part of you and delights in you. Now, before I share what I'm about to say, we give a couple notes. It's always like a, oh God, what she about to say? All the clergy's jaws just get a little tighter. <laughs> so in our scripture today, and in many others, Jesus builds out God as Father. And in light of Jewish culture and patriarchal norms, I think this paints the character of God 
as one who can fully take care of you. There are no hindrances, no cultural barriers, nothing keeps a father in this culture for supplying for his children, right? Uh, I don't know that this work is gendering God. Y'all key on the phrase, I do not know, or don't know. It could be, but it could also very well just be making a point that works in the constructs of Jesus's culture. And I think that's the point, not to define God's existential identity, but to describe God's character and what it means for his people. So all that to say, that's what I hope to accomplish next. The work I wanna do is not to redefine God's identity, but to expand God's character within frameworks that we understand. Cool? I remember thinking as a kid that my parents held my hand really differently. Uh, my dad was firm and safe, really goofy at times. He had this whole act called the claw. <laughs> they just would tickle me so I couldn't bear it any longer. Uh, but my mom held my hand like I was sacred, like I was a prize. If we were sitting still in a church pew or wherever, her thumb would wonder, it's like she was memorizing me. And I just started to think of that in light of what I've needed over this last season. I've noticed for myself in the exhaustion of a really long pandemic, through deconstructing and reconstructing my faith, through parenting and seminary and work and church, I have found myself in need of a very tender an attentive God. I wonder if you, if you can feel that. I need a mighty savior, yes, but I also need a midwife. I have found myself praying to Mother God in the last six to eight months, not as a way to esteem an agenda, I'm not just trying to be progressive or confuse people's theology, I just realized I need a reminder to myself that the characteristics of God that I find hard to believe to be true sometimes are ready and available to me. I found that it helps me to express my need for tender love, helps me to realize the specific need that I have, and to have the confidence that a faithful, good God is readily available to open the door to me and my needs. Church, receive the gift of full confidence that when you come to the door of God with your needs, you are not only welcomed, you are wanted. You are not met out of obligation, but out of excitement. Church, receive today the knowledge that you are beloved, not tolerated. Rest in the nurturing presence of a God who delights in you. Through this parable, God is saying to us that he is a good God, who wants and knows how to do good things for his children because they belong to him. But I don't know about you, it is really hard to be delighted in. We've been conditioned to keep ledgers and be leery of people who are nice to us because they've got to want something, right? To be enjoyed just because is really, really foreign to us. So church, what comes up in your spirit today when I say God delights in you? Is it easy to accept? Do you wish it were true? 
what's the yeah, but phrase that comes to mind? Where does it make you uncomfortable? It's a little too mushy-gushy, right? What relationship comes to mind as proof that no one could delight in you, let alone God? Where have you created a plan to earn God's delight? Have you tried to have the perfect doctrine? Guilty. What list of good deeds have you done in hopes that it will tilt the eternal ledger in your favor? Where have you tried to hide your needs and wants because you aren't sure God would tolerate them? Church, what if today we took God on his word? What if we believe the words of Jesus, that if we ask, seek, knock, that, there, that we will be met with a Father who does not withhold his presence? God is not angry at you. You are not a peon in the kingdom of God. You're not a resounding gong in the ear of the Holy One. The creator of the universe delights in you the one who created the stars and galaxies, the one who painted the supernova, who orchestrates the symphony of the Milky Way, calls you in creation mine. You are rejoiced over, longed for, cherished. Each and every one of you, you are beloved. I want to invite you this morning to respond not only by coming to the table and receiving the bread and the wine, by praying the prayer of response in a few minutes, but also by doing a quick breath prayer with me. I invite you to close your eyes if you feel comfortable. You'll inhale and exhale on my prompt as I read these prayers over you. Inhale, I am not tolerated. Exhale. God calls me beloved. Inhale, I am not tolerated. Exhale, God calls me beloved. Inhale, there is no weighted ledger. Exhale, God's door has no fee. Inhale, there is no weighted ledger. Exhale, God's door has no fee. Church, let the good news watch over you one more time. The divine isn't leveraging their deity to make you grovel and groan. The divine is attentive to you, genuinely interested in you, and lovingly caring for you today. Jesus gives us intimate insight into the type of relationship God offers us. And we can trust that good news because God is like Jesus. Church, receive today the knowledge that you are beloved, not tolerated. Rest in the nurturing presence of a God who delights in you. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.